are celebrating and commemorating Palm Sunday today. It is a day where Christians all around the world are acknowledging the triumphant uh, entrance into Jerusalem by our Savior. And uh, what a, as Wayne said, what a sight that must have been to behold. Amen. And, um, but you know, as uh, I, I just kind of um, want to focus on a couple of things here today. Uh, there was a triumphant ride into Jerusalem by our Savior, but there was weeping as well. And, uh, and uh, this is not going to be in chronological order, but I want us to look at the weeping and the worship and the triumphant praise. Amen. And uh, the Bible tells us, um, and let me, I, I just need to find my scriptures here. Um, over in Luke 19, 41 through 44, that Jesus, as he's coming from Bethany into the city of Jerusalem, we know that he could hear the cries and the praises of the people. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. But, uh, but he overlooks Jerusalem, and he's seen the consequences of a people that are going to reject him. And the Bible says that he began weeping. Have you ever been there where your heart is just so broken and you're so heavy? The, now, when we see Jesus weeping here, the Bible says he was weeping over the city of Jerusalem. We know that there are three occasions in the New Testament that it said that Jesus wept. We know that he wept tears over the death of his friend Lazarus. And uh, we know the story of Lazarus that uh, Jesus had come too late, so they thought. And they took him, he said, take me to his tomb. And he, as he stood there at the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. If Myra was here, she would let you know that. Um, she was always saying Jesus wept. You know, when, when asked to remember a, a, a scripture, she would always say Jesus wept. And uh, But Jesus wept. He wept because his friend Lazarus had died. He wept because he saw the grief and loss upon the sisters of Lazarus. He saw their, their hurt, their pain. And he also wept because they did not know truly and fully who Jesus was, but they were about to find out because Jesus called Lazarus forth. Four days he had been in the tomb. Four days he had been dead. But don't you know, Jesus is never too late. It looks like sometimes, man, it's done, died. It's dead, dead, dead. And it's beginning to rotten. And there'll never be life in something. But Jesus stood at that grave and he called life back to Lazarus. We also know uh, there was uh, tears that Jesus shed in the garden on the eve before his death, uh, before his crucifixion. He was in the garden, and he began to weep bitter tears. He cried so hard and so heavy. He cried out to the Lord, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Have you ever been there? You said, Lord, this cup is pretty bitter. It's pretty heavy. If it be possible, Lord, would you take this bitter cup from me? And he was in agony, so much agony. The Bible says that his sweat became as blood. 
But then there's this other third time where we found that Jesus wept. And, and it's uh, when he's looking over the city of Jerusalem and he sees 70 years into the future and he sees the desolation that's going to take place. He sees the famine that is about to come upon the land. And he began to sob. Now, when we see these words, Jesus, what we don't understand. <laughs> but Jesus was sobbing. He was broken. He was crying. You know, um, uh, we, we see some people when, when they are mourning the death, they're not like a lot of us who weep quietly, but they weep loudly. Jesus was weeping loudly. He was sobbing uncontrollably because he could see famine ahead. He could see children starving. He could see so much hunger and people dying because of their rejection of him as king and Messiah. And so we, we see that as a part of his journey into Jerusalem. He knows what's ahead. He knows where he's going into Jerusalem to die. He is going into Jerusalem to be crucified. He is going into that city to give up his life for us, for mankind, for humanity that has fallen and sunk because of the depravity of sin. And Jesus knows he's the one that has to pay the price for our sins and so he's beginning that journey into Jerusalem, knowing what is lying ahead. And he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps for the fallen state of mankind. He weeps for people who will turn away from him, who will refuse and reject his great plan of salvation. The laying down of his life. But then the Bible says... There comes the part of the triumphant praise. There's tears and there's triumph in this story. And uh, we know that Jesus told his disciples over in the 21st chapter of Matthew, he sent his disciples into the village to get a little donkey, a colt, and told them to bring the donkey to him so he could ride that into Jerusalem. And it not only was this uh, significant. We're going to look at that. But this little colt had never been ridden before by anyone. Jesus would be the first. And have you ever wondered why Jesus came into the city on a little donkey? Over in John 12, it talks about the prophecy given over in Zechariah. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's coat. He had been many times to Jerusalem to observe their feasts, but his final trip into the city had a unique significance. He was triumphantly arriving as a humble king of peace because, you see, in those days when a king would ride into a city, it was either on a horse or a donkey. How many of you know the significance of that? When a king would ride into the city on a horse, usually it meant war or a time of war or returning from a war. But when a king rode into a city on a donkey, he was coming in peace. We know that Jesus is the king of peace, isn't he? 
I'll tell you, we need to let him ride into our hearts sometime. Humble and lowly, the Bible uh, speaks of him, a humble and a lowly Messiah, a Savior, who rode in on a little donkey into Jerusalem. And it's very significant. Uh, no one had ever ridden on this little donkey before. And I like what he told Jesus, uh, what Jesus told his disciples. He said, when you get there and you're going to see him tied up, you go to the owner and you say to him, the master has great need of him. I just want to say to you, sometimes you may think what you have to offer him is humble and lowly, but Jesus has great need. When the hour calls and he speaks to you to give up what you have to him, and you may say, well, this is not worthy of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but Jesus will say to you, I have great need of your gift. I have great need of what you have that I need it at this hour, at this particular time, at this particular place. You see, sometimes your gift is not for everybody. It's not for all the time. But sometimes there are gifts you have, things that you have that are set aside for specific times and places that are of great significance to Jesus. So he told his disciples, just tell him I have great need of this little animal. And they brought the, the uh, donkey to Jesus. And then Jesus comes into the city. He hears. Now he's just, he's weeping over Jerusalem. But as he's weeping, the praises of the people are coming forth. They see Jesus coming in. They see King, Savior. They see someone who is going to deliver them from the Roman um, uh, slavery that they have been bonded into. And they see him as a deliverer coming in on a donkey, which meant, you know, he, first of all, Jesus is accepting his title when he rides into that city on that little donkey. He's accepting his title as king of the Jews. And he enters into Jerusalem, the city of David and the city of kings. And upon their coronation, kings would commonly ride to distinguish themselves from the rest of the people. Don't you know he is distinguished from the rest of the people? He doesn't come like anybody else will come. He comes as only Jesus can. But he comes riding in the donkey. And over in John 12 and 13, it says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And uh, so the people were crying out to him, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king of Israel. And Hosanna means God save or God save us now, you know, and they were desperate. They had been under Roman rule and, uh, and they were ready to be free, but they were not seeing Jesus as who he really was, their savior. You know, they were wanting someone to come in now and deliver them from Roman rule. But Jesus had a greater plan, and, uh, but they honored him. They celebrated who he was, and just for a brief moment, they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they were 
waving the palm branches, which meant um, uh, uh, peace, and they were putting their clothes out for him, for the little donkey to walk on, and they were praising him, and their praises were loud, and the praises were going up into, uh, into the heavens, and they were making a noise as Jesus was coming through. I think God likes it when we make noise sometime, you know. I think he likes, I think there's such a resounding sound when people come together in unity and begin to praise him. Sometimes praise comes through weeping first. Revival comes through times of brokenness first. Sometimes we have to see the, the condition of people and begin to get a, a burden for them. And then praise will come, revival will come. And, and, you know, uh, when that happens, there's such a spirit of celebration, isn't there? And they were, they were praising him so much. You know what? There was somebody sitting around and did not like what was going on. And the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, tell these people to shut up. Isn't there a voice in the church today trying to shut down worship, trying to shut down our praise? Satan hates when you praise the Lord. He hates when you lift up your voice and you get loud with it sometime. He hates your praise. We're not going to let him shut us down, are we? We're going to praise even the loud. I like the story of the old, the blind man, Bartimaeus. He had heard Jesus was coming into town. And actually, it was during this time as Jesus is uh, his, his last days before his crucifixion, he healed the blind man, but blind Bartimaeus had heard Jesus was coming his way. And I, I, listen, I love to hear Schambach tell the story. He just tells it with such energy. But uh, he had heard blind Bartimaeus, uh, blind Bartimaeus heard Jesus was coming. And the Bible says he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And somebody tried to shut him up. You know who it was? It was the religious people walking with Jesus that day. And they said, shut up. Don't you know who this is? And the Bible says blind Bartimaeus cried out even louder. Listen, when Satan tries to shut you up, just praise him. Praise the Lord even more. Cry out even louder. Don't you let Satan steal your praise. Your praise is powerful. Your praise is important. Your praise will get the attention of the Savior. Now, I know there's some false praise, and we have to be careful because false praise will lead us to crucify him. Because some of the people in the crowd in just a few days would be the ones crying, crucify him. Because they failed to see who Jesus really is. He is God in the flesh. But when we see who he is, let me tell you, nothing can shut down your praise. When you know that you know who Jesus is, he is Messiah, Savior. He is God himself, clothed in flesh, come down to save man from their sins. He's worthy of praise. He is so worthy of praise. And when there is a true praise going up, you're getting the ear of God. You're getting the attention of God. And God himself will come down. Let me tell you, praise moves mountains. Praise will cross rivers for you. Praise will get God's favor upon you. Praise will shut down demons. And that's pretty powerful. And so they begin to praise him. 
People didn't like it. They hated it. But they, you know, we got to praise Jesus anyway. We got to praise God anyway. Through the storm. You know, sometimes storms come to shut us up. Sometimes troubles come to mute your voice. You know, and it's sometimes attacks will come. So you'll just get tired and weary and shut down. But I'm going to tell you something. When you look at the Savior, when you keep your eyes upon Jesus, you can praise him through the storm. You can praise him through the trouble. You can praise your way right into victory. Amen. And, and I want to go into this third part here. It says that Jesus had gone to Bethany and he spent the night there in Simon's house, who he had healed from blindness. And he had just uh, resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And he's sitting there. And there's a, a dinner for him, a dinner of great honor. And in walks Mary. This is probably one of my most favorite stories in the New Testament, in the four Gospels, is the story of Mary's worship. Because it's extravagant. It's costly. And, you know, we can go through the weeping. We can go through the praise, but when we truly follow, follow Jesus and we fall in love with him, there's a place of worship that we will enter in. And I'm going to tell you something, it's going to cost you everything to get into this place that Mary was into. It cost her something. The Bible says that she anointed his feet with her perfume and, uh, it was of great value. The, Judas was standing by, and he saw her come in, and he saw what she did, and he began to complain, well, you know, this is a year's wage right here. Can you imagine giving up a year of your wage to Jesus? That's what Mary did. And he was talking about all the hungry people out there this could have fed, forgetting that Jesus was about to give his all, that he was worthy of every penny of that. He was worthy of the, the price, the cost of what was in that alabaster box. But the Bible says that she made her way to Jesus, and she fell down and worshipped him. And she took that beautiful alabaster box, and she broke it open. She poured the beautiful uh, perfumed oil upon his head, upon his garments, and then upon his feet. And then she knelt down, so in love with him, so caught up with who he is and what he had done for her, that her tears begin to mingle with the oil upon his feet as the drops of oil begin to flow from that alabaster box. So did her tears flow, and they begin to mingle upon his feet. And then she took her hair, her crowning glory, and began to dry his feet with her hair. They don't see the places that God brought you through, that he brought you from, that he delivered you from. They don't see the hard times that you walk through, the lonely valleys, the valleys of the shadow of death. All they see sometimes is just what they see with their outward eyes, but inside of you is a treasure box that's so filled with costly oil 
so filled with the perfume of his presence, the times that you've spent in his presence. But Jesus sees and knows, you know. He sees and knows. And I love this story because she knew what it cost her. Not everybody knows what it costs you to follow Christ. Not everybody knows what it cost you for that precious anointing inside of you. And I just want to end it with this. Your anointing and what's inside of you, what cost you so much, you're going to have to break it open and give it to him. And you do that through worship. And sometimes when something has cost us so much, the pain, the price we paid for it, we kind of want to hold it to ourselves because it's so precious and costly. But the best thing we can do with it is break open our alabaster box and lavish it upon the Savior, amen, and give him all the praise and the worship that he is worthy of because he's worthy of it. Only he is worthy of that treasure inside of you. Thank you.